And my name is Scott. Hey, I'm so glad that you guys are here. Sunday, I was supposed to preach at the sunrise service. And I was up way before sunrise, and I was, every direction was happening in my life. And so I didn't make it out there. I text Pastor Boone at 4.30 in the morning. I said, bro, it ain't going to happen. And like, I think I passed out after that. And then I woke up later. I saw there was a text message. I didn't even see his response. He was like, got you covered. And so he graciously preached out sunrise service for me. And it was an awesome, awesome experience from what I hear. But as far as me and the rest of my family, we were all passed out at home asleep on any given couch. And the only person that was up and about running was my four-year-old son probably unsupervised at any given moment. Um, He kept asking, where's the treats? Where's the treats? Sorry, buddy, we didn't get up for that one. Sorry. But uh, I wanted to share with you what the Lord's laid on my heart to share, and that is uh, the fact that Jesus goes before us. That was the theme kind of for our Easter weekend, but that also goes into this week, the week after Jesus rose from the dead. And so I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that today. And uh, first thing is not only does Jesus go before us, but um, he goes before us in his death. And so that obviously happened last Friday. That's when we celebrate it, um, when Christ died on the cross for our sins. He went before us in his death. And so it says this in John chapter 19, verse 30. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. He died. He said, Tetelestai, it is done, it is finished. And he prayed, or he didn't pray, he just, he bowed his head and he died. That's amazing for us. Have you done a fourth step? Have you made a list of all the things that you've done wrong? Have you made a list of all the hurt and pain that's happened to you? Believe it or not, Christ died on the cross for all those things. He died on the cross and he carried the weight of your sin and the weight of everybody's sin on him that day. He said, it is finished. You don't have to work any harder to be saved. You don't have to do any more. You don't have to be just good enough. Because Christ makes you good enough. You don't have to do those things. We see this as, as scripture goes on to tell us about baptism. It says this in Romans chapter 6 verse 4. It says this. We were buried therefore with him in baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And when we do our baptisms, we, we, we baptize three times forward here. We go three times forward is, is going under the water, symbolism of us being dead to our old ways. And when we come out of the water, it's the newness of life. It's the washing away of those sins, the cleansing of the sins from our life. And Jesus went before us. In that, he carried that weight for us. All that guilt, all that shame, all that hurt, all that pain, Christ is carrying for you. 
Some of you still may have that hurt and pain in your life. Some of you still may be walking around without get, with that guilt and shame. But Christ wants to carry that for you. Jesus conquered death so that we will know and we will be with him in heaven. That's why he died on the cross. He didn't want to do it. If you go to the hours before he was arrested, as he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, you see him crying out to God saying, if there's another way, Lord, if there's another way, let this cup pass. And God's all, mm, no. And Jesus dies for our sins because he wants to be with you in heaven. Because he wants you to have that reconciliation with the Heavenly Father. He wants you to be comforted so that you can give others that same comfort that you've been given. We just read about that in 2 Corinthians when we were reading the steps. Not only does God go before us in his death, but as he resurrection, he comes into the newness of life. He goes before us in our journey. Do you remember your journey in your life? It's interesting. I have people sit in my office a lot and they share their testimonies with me. Today I had Bruce sit in my office today and he's sharing his testimony next week. And uh, he shared his testimony with me. And it is absolutely an amazing thing to sit there and listen to someone's story. But what you can see is throughout the whole story, God goes before us. God is always there. I planned my steps. I planned my path to preach Sunday morning, but God directed my steps to the restroom so I could sit there all day. That's what happened. So if I go sprinting off stage, you all know what's happening. But um, this is what scripture says in John chapter 20. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know what, that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher, Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to, God, to my God and your God. God met her on this journey. She was heading back from the tomb where it was empty, and she had no clue where her Savior was. She had no clue where Jesus was, and she was going, who took the body? She thought he was dead. She thought somebody stole the body and Jesus met her on the way, on the path. Do you know your path to Jesus? Do you remember what that path looked like? Some of you in this room may identify with this, but some of you remember that moment when you were high, that moment where you took that shot and that moment you took that drink and all of a sudden it was a very clear, distinct moment where Jesus spoke to you and he said what the heck are you doing Bruce is going to tell you about one of his moments in his life next week 
One of the ways that God has always gone before me, and it's a little weird, I know, is there's times that uh, I really do believe God has spoken to me in dreams. And not like, hey, Scott, do this. But he has reaffirmed the decisions I've made as I follow him by dreams. And it's been pretty crazy in how that's happened. As, as he's led me to Alaska, he led me back from Alaska. God went before me in my rock bottom. That moment as I'm sitting on the bed in Alaska crying out to God and my wife and my son are here in California visiting her family and I'm just sitting on the bed in the depths of my addiction going, God, help me, save me. The next thing I know, I'm sitting in California in Modesto in the ark, the big onion out there in a celebrate recovery meeting. God goes before me. God went before me in my step work. He knew I needed a safe place. And he met, he allowed me to meet safe person after safe person after safe person. He went before me in all the work I've had to do. I'm a loud guy and to believe that I would share my inventory at a Starbucks and nobody hear me. Woo! That's crazy. God has gone before me. As I continue to do the, what I can to follow after him, apply these steps and apply these principles to my life, to watch God pour his favor out upon me is unbelievable. How he's blessed me. I am a messed up man and I don't know how I don't have more messed up kids in my life. We were very blessed, babe. Very blessed. But in this journey, we gotta know that man, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 tells us this. Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Now, I'm not a runner. You can tell by my physique. I am a football player, and so how I always equated that in my life was you always run to get the tackle. The first one there gets the hit. That's the way I equate it in my life. And the hit is the victory because you can just annihilate somebody. It's awesome. <laughs> but <clears throat> we all run and we're all running for what? To win the prize. We're all running for this race to go where? To go to heaven. To be with God in heaven. To become more and more like him every single day. To learn how to apply his word to our life. Philippians says it in different words in uh, Philippians 3.14. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That we push on towards that goal. We push on every single day. Even when we don't want to get out of bed and do our inventory. Even though we don't want to get out of bed and have our time with God. Even though we don't want to do those things. We get out of bed to do those things. Why? Because we want to push towards that goal of the upward call of Christ. That's why we do those things. That's why I went to India. I would much rather have stayed in my comfort of my own bed and hung out, but that is not what God called me to do. There's an African proverb. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. In recovery, in our Christian walk, in life, we are meant, not meant to do this alone. We're not meant to be hermits. We can't be a recovery hermit. We can't be a Christian hermit. 
We have to do life together. That's how God has scripted it out. We need our brothers in the room to help us. We need our sisters in the room to help us. When we are struggling, when we are hurting, we have to call them out. When we're doing something wrong, they have to call us out. And hopefully when they call us out, we have a chance to hear and understand and turn back to following after him. Because that is the journey that we're on and God will always be moving ahead of us, meeting us on that road. He also goes before us in our doubt. Anybody in here ever have a doubt about God? Yes, I have. Well, John chapter 20, verse 27 says this. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. I've had plenty of doubts in my life. I've had doubts about, am I truly a believer in Jesus Christ? I've had doubts about, by the way, that was one of Scott Miller's biggest questions that he wrestles with, is that question. I've had other doubts of what are you doing? Why am I here? Why are you taking a sex addict and having him lead singles ministry at a church? Sex addict, singles, doesn't seem to be a good combo. (laughs) Right? Exactly. (laughs) Why are those things? A question in times, is Jesus even real? Is God even real? I mean, I have never seen him. I doubt, this is the biggest struggle I have right now and probably have for the longest time, which is my biggest struggle with my food addiction, is I doubt that God will actually ever comfort me when I'm feeling the hurt and pain that I have and I'd much rather trust a pepperoni and artichoke pizza. (laughs) And that's a sad truth. We laugh, but that's true. And for others, we'd rather trust that needle. We'd rather trust that bottle. We'd rather trust that image on a screen. But we doubt that. I've doubted in my family dysfunction. Is, is there really a God, the God that's presented to me by my parents? Is that truly who God is? When both my parents died, I doubted God. Why would you do that? I've doubted him in my addiction. God, could you really even get me clean and sober? I mean, could you really help me stop I've tried everything on my own, and are you really going to be able to help me? I doubted him going to India. I had panic attacks the last three nights before going to India, waking up in the middle of the night just hotter than snot, and it was pulsing. I was like, I don't know what's going on. I even had a couple panic attacks in India. Doubting. Am I really doing the right thing? Stressed out, freaked out because my passport said I was a female. (laughs) And I had to run to San Francisco to get it changed. Two days! Two days! And then my truck breaks down twice on it. And then getting my visa within hours of me having to go to the airport. I doubted God and he is always faithful and just. Hebrews chapter four, verse verse 15 and 16 says this, for we 
do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. God of the universe understands us. I'm a weird dude. I didn't think anybody could understand me. My wife, I don't think, understands me all the time. But God of the universe does. He also goes before us in our faith. John chapter 21, verse 6 says this. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Do you remember earlier in the scriptures when they're out fishing and they weren't yet following him? And what did he do? Hey, cast your net back out there. And he did. And they caught fish. And then he said, I will make you fishers of men. He dies. He resurrects. And he sees them out fishing and they're not catching anything. And he says, cast your net to the other side and catch some fish. Remember what I have done for you. We have these great, amazing chips that we hand out on chip night. July 4th, we'll have a chip night. We'll hand these out again. But we do this in remembrance of what God has done for us. When we take communion, we do that in remembrance of what God has done for us. In the Old Testament, we, I'm going to read Joshua chapter 4, verse 9. And it says this, And Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood. And they are there to this day. Their story and story, verse and verse, all throughout the Old Testament where they put 12 stones together to remember what God had done for them. God has done amazing things in your life. Do you remember what God has done for you? I remember what God has, had done for me in Alaska. I didn't know anything. And he brought me up there and Christine and I, we were able to do some amazing stuff in some people's lives and running a youth ministry up there. And I also remember the death and destruction I caused by my addiction. I remember what God did through my addiction. I remember the friends I made. I remember the people I could trust, the accountability partners. I never would have roomed with Robert for two weeks, not knowing him that well, and now we're buds. Hey, can't make this stuff up, bro. That's right. We got some stories, man. My youngest son, when he was born, had the cord wrapped around his neck twice, and this lady was like, she was a cattle roper. She was like, Wah! And she just did that. That's a, yeah! And I was like, whoa. And she's all double miracle and then walked out of the room. I'm like, what just happened? But I remember those moments. Do you remember the moments in your life that God showed up to say, hey, I got you. I got you.
He goes before us in our ministry. John chapter 21, verse 15 through 17. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to them, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to me, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to them the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said this to him a third time. Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. It's interesting. Peter denies Christ three times and Jesus asks him three times, do you love me? Bringing him back from those times. You ever remember in your life when you've denied Christ? You've turned your back and you've walked away. And Jesus is bringing Peter back into the fold, saying, hey, do you love me? Yes. Do you love me? Yes. Do you love me? Yes. He's bringing him back into the fold, caring for him. Jesus cares for you. I remember Scott Miller challenged me to think about and pray about the calling I have for my life and really the the purpose statement of my life. And my purpose statement comes down to this, is to help those who are hurting find healing through the power of Jesus Christ. So everything, every decision I make, that's what I do. But he said, feed my lambs. You love me? Feed my lambs. That we would actually go and tell people about Jesus Christ, that we'd actually go and tell others about Jesus and who he is. That meant a whole new thing in India to me. As we went down, and it was a very religious country, and so they want anybody to pray for them, and you'd start walking down these uh, alleys. <laughs> That's what they were. Um, and you'd just see people, and you'd start praying for them. <clears throat> and you'd have an opportunity to maybe share Christ with them. Be invited onto their porch and given some chai tea that's 900 degrees and scald your tongue when you drink it. But it's awesome. So you do it, and then you get a chance to open up the word of God and share Jesus with them. That you would actually have an opportunity to share Jesus. And here at Big Valley, we say that we would actually do that with our actual neighbors. We would tell our actual neighbors. And then he says, hey, Peter, do you love me? He says, yes. He says, well, then tend my sheep. That we would actually tend the sheep, that we would actually care for each other. That not only would we tell people about Jesus, not only would we introduce them when they're broken and outcast and they need recovery, would we tell them about that, but we would also have a chance to care for them where they're hurting. Care for other believers. There's a lot of believers that are hurt, wounded, not only by life, but also by the church. And we would actually have empathy for each other. Do you know what empathy is? It's as if somebody had fallen in a hole and they're in the bottom of this hole and you walk by and you say, hey, get out of that. Then you keep walking. No, that's, that's not empathy. <laughs> it's actually we crawl down into that hole with them and sit there with them and then we don't just sit there but we actually start to help them get out of that hole. We understand where they're at. We understand where they're 
what they're doing and we try we start to help them get up out. That doesn't mean all you enablers are like, I'm just sympathetic. No, that's not what I'm talking about. But that we would have empathy for other people. And they would care for other believers. They would care for the people sitting in our rooms that their share isn't just a three to five minutes. Oh my goodness, when are you gonna get done? But our, it's actually, we're caring for what they're sharing. And then he says, do you love me? And he says, yes. And he says, well then feed my sheep. And that we would actually start to help each other mature in our walk with Jesus Christ. That we would take Ephesians chapter four, which is what the first ministry 101 book or class I ever took, this passage was read 19 times and it says this, Ephesians 4, 11 through 14. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. That we would actually help us to do the work of the ministry. That's why it's so important that you start to give back. That's why we spent a month talking about giving back. That's why it's important you get on the food team. You're on the greeting team. You're at the bookstore. You're helping in the landing. You're helping in rock solid kids. You go through a step study and you start to give back by helping facilitate an open share group. Or you get up here and you read the 12 steps. Because that is what we do and we try to encourage each other on. So guess what? Jesus goes before you. He has gone before you. And he loves you. And he cares about you. Psalm chapter 139 says, no matter where we go, he is there. We are never alone. He is always there. We can go to the heights, the depths. He is there. The light, the dark, he is there. And he is there for us. And so I challenge you, if you feel alone today, talk to somebody. You're not alone. God has gone before you and he is with you. Let's stand and close with the serenity prayer. The focus question is how are you caring for others in their time of hurt and pain or how are you maturing through your recovery? Serenity prayer is this. Let's pray it. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did the sinful world as it is, not as I would have it. Trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever and the next. Amen. Amen. First time guests right across the hallway. Second time guests right up front. Love you guys. See you at dessert. I think we got cake and pie for a dollar.